G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the round three preview edition of the Footyology audio podcast. Yep, we've got a lot of audio, video, uh, and the rounds are sort of blending into each other. It's hard to know where one week uh, stops and one week starts. As I say, very good morning to you, Mark Fine. Morning, Rowan. I hope this is the audio, not the video, because I'm... (laughs) Rolled out of bed and I'm not ready to be filmed. No, no, it's we can reveal to the audience that we are doing this quite early in the day, which is testing for both of us. But uh, up and about, a um, lot going on. Of course, round two only wrapped up on Easter Monday, but uh, only two games in already. There's a few clubs seemingly, uh, dare I use the phrase, in the gun. Well, yeah, we're are we too quick to judge too quick to point a finger or is it deserved i think i think it's deserved i think in the case of the bulldogs their start of the season has been so disappointing and remember we're talking about premiers from 2016 that they no particular persons in the gun but the club is under the microscope and we are looking for signs of life if they don't come soon then we're going to bury the premiership dogs and welcome back the struggling dogs. Yeah, well, I, I must say, I've found it a bit hard to buy this thing about rebuilding. Um, to me, they're still very much hung over when you consider the fact that we've had 24 games since they won a premiership. Um, now, their side on the weekend had only 11 premiership players in it. But um, to me, one of the secrets to their success was the way they had a lot of injuries in 2016, and yet they were still able to bring players regularly into that side who slipped in and did their role. Now, that's clearly not happening now, and I I felt very sorry for the likes of Ed Richards and Aaron Norton and Tim English and Billy Gowers on the weekend because their equivalents back in 2016 were getting more of an armchair ride. These guys are sort of having to do it without a lot of help. Might be semantics, but why do you call it a hangover? Why do you say that it's still a hangover? To me, a football hangover is that a team is underperforming because they are still in the glow of the premiership. Either they've um, taken the summer and over-celebrated or they've got an overblown opinion of themselves. I don't think there's any afterglow from the premiership left in this team. Uh, And also, a hangover to me implies that they're going to come out of this haze eventually. Uh, Hair of the dog, actually quite a good expression, (laughs) Uh, seeing as we're talking about the Bulldogs, and will return to their former glory. I don't think this is a hangover. I think this is... um, what they really are. Yeah, the new, a new dawn has broken. This is their new reality. Which means then, if that proves to be the case, and I'm not saying it isn't, but if it does prove to be the case, that makes that four weeks in September 2016 one of the most remarkable um, surges of temporary form the game has seen. 
it reads like that. I, I st- look, Jake Stringer's no longer at the club. He was central to maybe not the on the day, even though he kicked a very important goal in the final quarter. Tory Dixon can't get a game. Mm. Cranry's no longer at the club. Mm. There are players that are, yeah, I guess they just hit the heights. I mean, Tom Boyd has had problems since. He was close to best on ground. They got wonderful performances. Look, Picken hasn't played this year. Liam no, Picken. That's, been, that's been big. Picken and Morris are bulldogs through and through. Is that yeah, part of their song? It certainly is. Well, given that uh, they sing it, Without Pickham and Morris, I don't think they've got it. Well, another couple too. I mean, Joel Hamling had a particularly good finals and he left straight away. Fletcher yep. Roberts yes. became important for them. And it's their defence that's really been under siege, isn't yeah, it? It's true. looked abs- And, you know, Adams injured, Morris injured, uh, Boyd Murphy retiring. Well, no, Murphy, of course. Even though he didn't play in the grand final because he didn't play for the season. Murphy at the club was an important figure, wasn't he? was he? worth spiritual goals finding. In fact, I was just wondering then, how do you equate that? I think Bob Murphy's spiritual value was probably worth about uh, four goals, two behinds. What do you think? Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's funny how people attribute scores to the wind. They attribute it to a, a spiritual lift, an emotional lift. I'll say this, that him being part of the 2016 campaign was very real. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying, but it was yeah, very real. I'm not being overly cynical about it. I'm just saying yeah, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to measure. No, but but it was real, wasn't it? Oh yeah, no, no, him no. Not it being was. at the club is yeah. But I guess if you know, if you want to extrapolate that, it's sort of symbolic of that. Um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That spirit that they had there that really. Uh, seems to have been absent since. We'll talk about a couple of other... Uh, can, I, can I teach you a, a word in Yiddish? Yeah, go on quickly. That's important. Um, there's a word called Oberhuchem or Oberhuchem. Huchem means somebody who's very clever. Yeah. And if you're an Oberhuchem... You're too clever? Too clever by half. <laughs> okay. And I reckon Luke Beveridge yeah. fits that bill with his r- selection that continues to be vexing... And in some cases for players, demotivating. Yeah, no, in, interesting observation. Now, we'll talk quickly about a couple of other clubs under the pump, and they are, of course, your Saints well, and, and the Pies. Just quickly, though, yeah. we talked about two games being too early. The ultimate evidence that it is too early uh, is Sydney of last year, who, of course, were 0-6 uh, and six and proceeded to win 15 of their last 18 games. They weren't horrible, though, in those... Six had just lost by a whisk at yeah. court. There were a couple of, there were some extenuating circumstances. Hawthorne looked, well, that's actually the, the the call to judgment that I got wrong. And they looked in a, when they lost to Gold Coast and St Kilda in consecutive weeks by 15 goals thereabouts, yeah. they looked to be in a tailspin. Yeah that would take some time to lift out of. Well, they're, uh, yeah, I guess... They well, lift out, lifted out of it within a month. Well, where they are now, uh, after Easter Monday, you'd probably think even more incredible. Let's talk quickly about the Saints. Uh, I mean, we, we have talked about it previously. They just look way too pedestrian for me. Not enough skill, not enough spark. 
midfield not deep enough, forward set up pretty ordinary. Um, yeah, it doesn't look good. How terrible must a team have played in a half of football to be, well, let's not say in crisis, but certainly to have the justified glare put on them. I mean, at halftime in the Good Friday game, St Kilda had won their first game and scores were level at halftime. Mm. How badly have they gone? Basically, in that last quarter, they were only nine points down at three-quarter time. Yeah. How how badly have they gone, or how much did that last quarter ring true to people who have been watching St Kilda to say, you know what, that might be the real St Kilda? And I don't disagree with it because, for me, the for me the the glaring problem is. How many players get a game week in, week out, without the pressure of being um, tested by guys coming from underneath and putting pressure on their spots? It's too comfortable to play terribly at St Kilda. Yeah, I can well, name a few if you want. Well, I, I'd sort of link that to Collingwood in a way, and clearly Nathan Buckley's going to come under pressure if they keep losing. Alan Richardson will probably start to come under pressure, but... And it's not excusing him because the coach, in a way, well, in a big way, is responsible for the list. But I look at both the Saints and the Pies at the moment at the quality of, of personnel, and I just think, well, you could be Jock McHale, Alistair Clarkson, Ron Barassi rolled into one. I'm not sure you could be getting a lot more out of these players because ultimately they're just not good enough. I agree. The one thing I'll admit, though, is that at Collingwood and at the Bulldogs, they're giving more players an opportunity. Now, the problem yeah. at St Kilda is that they give these guys almost tenure to play football. Well, give, give us a couple of names quickly. And the problem is that every three weeks they play okay. So last week, Jimmy Webster was St Kilda's, maybe St Kilda's best player in a poor showing. Yeah. But he plays every week. Yeah. Jack Nunes hasn't had a great start to the season. I must so he'll say, probably play well this week. I must say, Jack Nunes, this is what he's, it have to be his fifth, Season four. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I must say, he's one player I look at and I sort of think, well, how do you describe Jack Nunes? And yeah, that's a fair I, I sort of think vanilla, you know, like what does he actually do that's remarkable? What stands out about him? He's tough. He's he, He'd be a really good player if he could dispose of the ball better, but he mm. doesn't. Blake Akers played well week one. Yeah, he shows a bit, I reckon. He's a nice size, he's a nice mover, but he has his downtime as well. Jack yeah. Steele hasn't quite gelled. Kobe Stevens, these guys seem to play most weeks. Yeah. The question is why. Jack Billings remains a half-forward flanker when his skill and St Kilda's midfield demands more of him. St Kilda are ruckless between Longer and Hickey. There's not really a singly important or relevant ruckman there. So... There are issues. Quick word on the pies to me. I look at them and, yeah, plagued by injuries again, no doubt about that. And uh, very disturbingly for them, I think the guys that are most injury prone are their most skillful players. So, you know, for Solo, Elliot, Wells at the moment, Dugowie, I know he had the club suspension, but he was injured as well. And the guys that are more durable are the blokes that 
turn the ball over and butcher it a bit. And I, that, that was a much improved performance by them against the Giants. But in a way, it was sort of even more depressing because I'm not sure they can play much better than that at all. And yet they still weren't able to finish the, the job because of those inherent flaws in not converting opportunities and turning the ball over. You know, I've been jealous of you ever since you authored the term Dangerwood. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's great to create a football term. I'm not giving enough credit for it. No, but I've just um, No, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so where's this going? I've authored a word. Yeah. It starts with Collingwood, but it applies to all clubs, but it really applies to Collingwood, I think, over the last couple of years, and again, two weeks in, and that is wingeries. Because... (laughs) Because... Nathan Buckley's at pains to point out that, you know, personnel is not important. But the first thing he said at the press conference during the week was, we're getting some blue sky on the injury front. Yeah. And that's that means he's talking about wingeries, not injuries, because he's whinging about them. And we're only two games in. It's a safety net for coaches. It's a safety net for for players and for supporters, it's an excuse when it comes to the daily battle, in the case of Collingwood, of explaining why your team is an underperforming side. Well, the ultimate comment on them, I reckon, is the fact that there's so much discussion now about Daniel Wells. When will he come back? Well, Daniel Wells is a 33-year-old who regularly misses half a season, and he's only played 10 games for the club, and yet Pie fans are going, oh, we've got to get Wells back. Well, that doesn't say a lot about the rest of the list, does it? No, and unfortunately, the players that are out injured have form. Can you be surprised that Ben Reid missed last week? Mm. Can you be surprised Wells isn't playing? Yeah. Well, Elliot and Fasolo are similar, aren't they? Elliot, Fasolo are injury-plagued players. You've Mm. got to look at your list. List management surely includes limiting the number of players that are prone to injury. And by the way, this is not Darcy Moore's first hamstring. Yeah, right. No fair point. Uh, let's zip through a couple of other ones quickly. Um, incredible game on Easter Monday. Uh, Hawthorne-Geelong rivalry is absolutely unsurpassed as the best rivalry in footy. Interesting juxtaposition with Collingwood-Carlton playing each other on Friday evening. And uh, that phrase, finding no matter where they are on the ladder, particularly applicable this week because they're 16th and 17th. And um, we were talking about it on SEN the other night. It, it Historically, I mean, they've clashed in, what, five grand finals, it, some wonderful, memorable battles. But to be perfectly honest, over the last 20-odd years, it hasn't had much to recommend it, certainly not compared to the wonderful games Hawthorne and Geelong regularly serve up. It's not contrived. It's not a creation by the AFL. Yeah, it's a pure footy rivalry, isn't it's it? It's not geographic. It's organic. Yeah. It has happened out of a genuine, uh, not only not only um, mutual, and I'm not going to say respect, but uh, mutual um, hunger for beating each other. Yeah. And, and timing of the ascent correct, of both clubs. Yeah. Correct. But it has sustained some troughs that the clubs have experienced. Yeah. And one gets, gets a sense that, Almost as um, meritorious as the fact that when one of these teams is down by five goals against the other side, they still believe they're in the hunt. There is also this unusual thing when one team is up by five goals against another, they almost stand on the corner waiting for the bus to come. Yeah. It's, it's a great positive that they both believe they can beat each other, 
but it's unusual that they both almost don't believe that they can thrash each other. Yeah. So, so it's a, a great meeting of, a, a, of two teams. It's sort of like two English aristocrats, you know, playing some sort of competitive squad, going, well played, Mr. Jones. Your turn to uh, offer your best to us all. Uh, very, very quick word on Port Adelaide, because we're talking about two games. Is that premature? Um, well, if we're going to say some teams are in trouble, I think we should do the other. I, th- I think Port are so well set up. I've talked about this before, I've talked about it on Footyology TV, but their depth of uh, midfield flexibility is way above anyone else's. They've got at least five, if not six, blokes who can both play legitimate midfield or small forward roles. Ebert, Gray, Boak, Wingard, Watts, Motlop, Rockcliffe there, there's seven. Um, and it won them the game against Sydney at half-time. Hinkley completely threw the forward line around, went small. Watts was the only tall through um, who went in there. Boak went in there. Ebert went in there. Way, um, Gray, I was about to say Wayne Gringard. Gray and Wingard were in there. And Boak kicked two, they seven goals in the third quarter. That is, And, and their talls are flexible too. Dixon goes into the ruck. Westhoff goes onto a wing. Amazing versatility, and I think that's going to be their greatest weapon. They look, they look to have an absolute set of premiership-winning players. Now, interestingly, Todd Marshall, he and I loved him from the day I saw him against the Bulldogs at Ballarat. You know, it was a tough day to play football, and he really showed that he has some ability. I just wonder, you know, Jack Watts. I'm not saying he won't be part of the team for most of the season, but that fondness to go small in the forward line I think will pay real dividend support and somebody could get squeezed when Ryder comes back into the side. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I I just wonder whether Jack Watts is secure in the... You see, Rockliffe showed that he can, again, be a run-with player, not just a possession winner. Yeah. And Motlop adds that that brilliance that you just want to have, especially on the MCG in September... I'm not certain that Watts is a lockdown in that team. Well, amazing depth. And the fact we're not even thinking about the likes of Thomas, McKenzie and Trengove gives yep. you an idea just how much they've got at their disposal. All right, there's the detrius of uh, round two cleared away. Time now to talk about the fourth estate. On Footyology Media Watch. Uh, yes, the controversial segment always uh, gets a bit of attention and a bit of uh, carping from our media colleagues, finally, but I think we perform a necessary function here. We are the uh, Paul Barry of the um, footy podcast scene. A bit less wankery, perhaps. Um, and uh, we concentrate on the uh, sort of philosophical issues rather than little nitpicky slip-ups here and there. But, um, and the Darwin, that Darwin Daily doesn't get a run. Oh, the NT News. Yeah, yeah, the stupid headlines about crocs and bare bums and stuff. But uh, you kick us off this week. What's What are you thinking about in a media sense? All right, this is the a topic less comfortable. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly in the current climate, which is a good climate, of um, AFLW showing the world that uh, there is a huge appetite for watching football, playing football and being part of football from... Uh, half of the community, half of half of the world, which is females. The decision by the ABC, uh, the national broadcaster, seemingly 
to maybe not exactly replace Gerard Whateley, who defected to SEN from their radio broadcast with a clear-cut number one caller. Um, they might be sharing the roles, and part of that duty has certainly fallen to Kelly Underwood, who has seen an upgrade in her calling responsibilities. She mm. was um, calling, I think, um, both Thursday night games to start the season, so that's a big feather in her cap. Now, I'm not here to talk about the quality of... I'm waiting for the butt. I'm not here to talk about the quality of Kelly's broadcasting because there are, for every person, every person has their own opinion on their favourite commentators. It's a very subjective thing, Very yeah. subjective. Yeah. So this is not about Kelly under with the caller. Obviously, to get to that point, she ticks all the boxes for competency, yeah. for player recognition, etc. Yeah. yeah. The question is whether or not coming up against uh, the A-teams, for want of a better term, from the other radio stations, because, you know, Thursday night football kicked us off Richmond-Carlton and then a huge grand final rematch, Adelaide-Richmond, whether a female voice is the right move for the ABC. It's not, you know, it's challenging for listeners. Yeah. There's no question. And... Well, uh, yeah, no, uh, I'd throw a couple of things up here. One, I think the ABC is in a more fortuitous position with this because they're not as concerned about ratings, although they, you know, they do think ratings are important. But secondly, um, and don't get me wrong here, I, I don't, you're just putting the issue on the table. It's been like Kelly Underwood famously called that Geelong Hawthorne finish where Bartell kicked the point after the siren. That was 2009. So it's been 10 years. Should we not be used to it? And, and therefore, isn't that indicating that the problem is ours? And when we say, when I say ours, I don't have a problem with it. Um, and the other point about this is, you know, someone has to lead the charge. So there's always going to be someone who is the subject of the, oh, do we really need a female voice? And when you think about it, if you took the sporting context away from it, like in any other walk of life, you'd say, well, why not? You know, and I've got to admit, I, I remember when Kel started on Channel 10, you know, it, it was so different. It, it really made you go, whoa. But I feel like I'm very used to it now. So I've heard her call a bit and it, it doesn't, you know, it's just, I think I'm used to it. The other thing, and again, I'm, I'm sticking up for you, even though you're not being attacked. Uh, um, she is, you know, in terms of women covering football, she's as good as it gets. She really knows no, her I, stuff. See, I disagree with that. I do? I thought she was as good as it gets until the integration of some of the AFLW players into commentary and special comments. Ah, uh, yeah, but they, they define, I'm talking about play-by-play calling. I, I, th- I haven't heard much more than her calling football. No, but I'm saying you can't compare a special comments person with a play-by-play no, just, caller because they're different I'm just roles. saying, as part of commentary, gee, Daisy Pierce is good. She is really good. You know who else is really good? And I've worked with her on Mungrook the last two weeks, Abby Holmes. Yep. She really, really knows her stuff, Abby. That being said, Kelly's excellent. Yeah. In terms of... So so what what are you taking a or stance I'm, here or are you just I'm asking the question because I can tell you through my experience on radio talk back that a lot of people don't like it don't don't like 
a female caller, and it is a big move to almost replace Jared with Kelly Underwood. It's yeah. a big, it's a big call. And I'll, I'll say this: a part of the the modern style of calling is, and did we get this from Bruce McAvaney? Is that guttural voice? You know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. the deepening of the voice. It yeah. doesn't work with a female caller. She doesn't have that as part of her armory. In fact, when calling a, a, a key play or a key moment, there's almost a, a heightening of the voice. Yeah. So the voice goes higher. Now, these are nuances that uh, some people are, are not ready to embrace but I, I just when you uh, i'm thinking back to mike williamson who was you know just the caller for 20 30 years when something exciting happened i'm saying have his commentary going in my head his voice went up yeah didn't go I, yeah, down. sure i understand um that. Th- but that thing about talkback callers and whatever there comes a point where um and don't get me wrong here, I, I'm not playing Mr. PC, I'm going to be the darling of, of women and feminists for saying this, but it is true, there comes a point at which you've just got to go, well, okay, talk back callers, you're going to ring up 10 years later and say, we don't need a women's voice in footy, but you're the same people who might have rung up and said, well, women shouldn't have the vote, you know, we shouldn't have women in parliament, we shouldn't have women executives, and at some point, there's always going to be that sort of really regressive view that's coming and this is the judgment you've got to make is it coming from a rational logical place or is it coming from someone's own insecurities about their own gender opposed to the opposite gender and i'd say the latter so we sort of have to bite the bullet and go okay well you can say that but you know really logic and 21st century thinking dictates that there's absolutely no reason women shouldn't be calling footy and i agree with that entirely uh is the broader community ready for that? Is it? I've, well, this is my. This is what I'm saying. Sometimes the broader community has to be led, and I, you know, I know people say, "Well, gee, that's arrogant, isn't it?" But I tell you what: if the media in other areas, like politically or whatever, took the view that okay, we're not just going to bow down and give people reality TV 24 hours a day, we're going to we're going to start something here and take them along with us because the community doesn't have the capacity or the resources to institute that thinking. It's up to the media and it's up to the agencies that have that reach to go, okay, here it is. We think that you're mature enough and intelligent enough to take this on board. And often they do. Look, I agree with you that the ABC is well-placed to be a an industry leader here because they are less reliant on the commercial... The commercial um, direct correlation between ratings and income. So ABC is well-placed to do this. Last word on it. Is it, a brave, is it a brave move by the ABC to nominally replace Gerard Waitley with Kelly Underwood? Oh, absolutely. It's a brave move. And, um, I mean, that's sort of what I'm asking. Is yeah. It, is it a brave move? Not move. And you know what? Hopefully, I've... I've there's every chance the ratings will be unaffected because people who are loyal to Auntie remain loyal to Auntie through talk back, through late night, through football coverage. So hopefully there's no blip on their radar. Will they hold their fire if there is a clear cost in terms of ratings? Uh well, is, that their, is that their history? Yeah, you, yeah, you'd hope they would. But I suspect the noise 
uh, the agitation around this is much bigger than the reality. I, I think the silent majority is quite okay with it. Uh, it's a really interesting topic to talk about. And yeah, I'm glad we talked about that without sort of saying, well, yes or no, because there, there's a whole lot of shades of grey about it. Now, I want to touch on a couple of other things quickly in Moody Watch this week. One is the, um, uh, fantasy football. Now, you know, it's, it's big. There's no doubt about that. And a lot of people have, are really passionate about it. I am. I, I yeah. don't, I don't play one of the formalized ones, but yeah. there are 16 of us to, that get together before each season. We're, it, we're in our 30th year. Yeah. So that's one of the very earliest ones. Yeah. There's a premiership cup. There's money to be won. Yeah. And it's, oh, no, it, 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 it governs how I watch footy. Great. No, no, no issue with that at all. And if I had more time, I'd probably, invest in it as well but what i'm getting at here is the amount that that uh sponsored competitions media competitions are spilling over into the actual coverage so and i understand the commercial imperative here but there are days in the herald sun now where you jump online read their footy coverage and 80 percent of it is stories about super coach and i i don't like that i think that's wrong i think that is making editorial advertorial really and remember that uh, Supercoach is only relevant to those who participate via the Herald Sun. Yeah, correct. There yeah. are other forms of... Well, The Age has one called Ultimate Footy, hasn't That's it? Right. Which, which everyone tells me is pretty good, but it never, you never sort of hear about it. Yeah, and the ones that um, many people play privately are different once again. So if there was a universal... Um, currency in fantasy football in other words if the scoring was the same across the board and everybody knew that um a 107 for james sicily was meant something to everybody mm. then i think you could integrate it into the broader coverage of football but yeah. if it's only relevant to one commercial outlet like the herald sun yeah. then it becomes advertorial. Well, yeah, it's a bit like those pressure ratings. Yeah, last week Hawthorne had a pressure rating of 176. Wow, is that yeah. good or bad? I, I don't know. It's an interesting one. Just broadening that generally, I find, uh, and again, you know, we live in a commercial world, but what about, uh, do you think there's a bit much sort of cross-promotion going on between, say, News Corp papers and, say, Fox footy? Oh, it's... Um they're enmeshed yeah. uh, between talent from interchange of talent to, again, almost blurred lines of um, advertorials and, and promotions. Yeah. So you get a, a Herald Sun journalist speaking on Fox football yeah. as a football expert and you'll never hear a voice from outside and half that organisation. Well, and half the paper is now sort of columns by ex-footballers who work for Fox Footy. I had a look at their tips panel a few weeks ago, and I thought, what's happened to all the footy journos at the Herald Sun? Because they had, they had Robbo and they had Ralphie and I think Jay Clark and Glenn McFarlane. But, like, where was everyone else? The whole rest of it were Fox Footy people yeah. and celebrities. And I think that's sad, really, because, I, you know, I... <laughs> We've benefited in a way from the um, the cross, uh, what's the word, the um, metamorphosis of, uh, say, print into radio, TV, whatever. But in a way, I like the fact that there were very separate streams because it gave you three different perspectives on something, and now that's sort of been lost, hasn't and, it? And it's also really sad for uh, somebody coming out of a young, young boy, you know, an adolescent 
boy or girl with a real ambition to be part of sports media and the football media. Yeah. And the old pathways of um, doing a cadetship yeah. and working your way through an organisation and getting into the football department are gone because if a youngster comes up to me and I've regularly approached, how do I get involved in footy media? My answer is pretty disheartening, and that is play 150, yeah, play 150 games of AFL football. It's true, isn't it? It's true. I mean, look, that it is. A, I've got to. I'll put my hand up here. It's a bit of a bugbear of mine. The the former players thing, and look, most of them, I think, now that get into it are pretty competent. But gee, I don't know. There's a, a few former players who I reckon get exposed a bit for not having done their homework, and they sometimes they do know their stuff, but they can't really articulate it. And I don't know. American sport doesn't seem to have this problem with people that haven't played at the elite level being able to talk no. and have opinions. So why? No, the fourth estate is still. Still owned and run by their by themselves by yeah. their own people. And someone like you or I can sort of express an opinion on a team or a player or whatever, and and people don't go, "Well, what do you know? You haven't played at the highest level." So why are we like that here? I've watched more games at the highest level, and observed more games at the highest level than I would suggest any AFL footballer currently going around, and. I didn't say you, Rowan. No, <laughs> no, saying, no. I'm, I'm saying. Well, so we've yeah, watched I, so I much football. We've watched so much football, and, yeah. we, and if we've been able to um, convey to employer uh, employers in the past that our football knowledge is deep enough to be, you know, to have some worth, commercial worth, to be paid for, then that should be respected. Yeah, well, Obser- to- observing the game extensively. Yeah, is a f- is a form of experience that I think is um, something that I could say to a footballer. Well, you you haven't watched a thousand games, so yeah, yes, <laughs> good point. I mean, that's my one knock on Fox Footy. I, I reckon Fox Footy, by and large, does a really good job, and I I appreciate having a twenty four hour a day football station. But basically, there's a great divide there. If if you're a former player, you are a caller analyst personality. If you are a non-former player, i.e. journo, you are a newsbreaker and yep. you can't be anything else. And I think that's wrong because football, or all journalism and football journalism particularly, departed from that one-dimensional view 30 years ago. There's been really good analysis done by non-former players in the print media for the last three decades. I certainly preferred when I was growing up, this is how I knew football to be covered. The journalists covered the game as played, yeah, they also editorialised on the game. Yeah, and any former player that wrote on the game did so being ghosted by a journalist. Yeah, so you knew that um, Jack Dyer's dire ear, and yeah. you knew that when Jack or Jezza or Bill Barrett spoke or at least wrote, that they were incapable of doing so without a journalist sitting in their hip pocket. Well, that might be a subject for a whole other day because the harsh, um, crusty old cynic in me feels like saying, well, I can think of some journos now who probably require some ghost writing as well. <laughs> it's come, if not full circle, then certainly half circle. All right, very interesting discussion. Uh, time now to have a look at all the games coming up in a big round three. On Footyology, previews... With Punch. Rightio, you heard, with Punch. So we've got to zip through them. 
Carlton Collingwood, no matter where they are on the ladder, Friday night at the MCG, their 7th and their 16th, both uh, 0 and 2. What happens, Finey? This is the have-nots versus the have-nots. Uh, gee, it's hard. I mean, I would have probably been comfortable tipping Collingwood prior to the Moore injury. I would have been comfortable tipping Carlton prior to a need to reorganise the back line with Kieran Burnout. Not that he's had a brilliant season. I'm going to go for Collingwood on the strength of the midfield just being a bit deeper. I usually go for the Pies in this clash, but often I've been wrong. The the Blues, no matter where they are on the ladder, have a habit of upsetting them. But I, I'm more confident about the Blues this time. They were shocking last week. But they impressed me a bit in round one. And I think the Darcy Moore out coming on top of all those others structurally is poison for them. Uh, you know, at this stage of recording, we don't know where Ben Reid's at. Is he any chance at all? Yeah, he's playing this week. He will play? Yep, okay, he'll play. well, that helps, but I hate their forwards. So, Reid and Cox are likely? Yeah, well, I don't like either of them as permanent forwards, and I think it weakens them in defence, and I think, they've, um, I think they're a bit of trouble. I think the Blues are going to show they can play a bit. I'm going for Carlton. All right, let's go uh, game number two on Saturday uh, in Adelaide at 1.45 local time. Port Adelaide, all guns blazing, playing Brisbane, who uh, are 0-2 as well. Shown a bit here and there, but not enough consistently. Uh, you got to think the port, you got to think the power by plenty in this one. Unlike their first three encounters in league football, do you know what happened the first three times they played? Uh, draw. Draw. Two points draw. Yeah, I was that like that. one of them, yeah. Yeah, this will not be such a nail-biter. Nails will be kept intact. Port by how much is the question? Yeah. Brisbane actually beat them in a real turn-up a couple of years ago, but um, history is bunkers, though. So, no, I think Port will have a really big win there. Will Rockliffe be lifted to greater feats? Oh, yeah, good point. Um, you know, he's got a bit of a point to prove. Yeah, he has, and he hasn't been anything special in those first two games. So, yeah, no, let, let's tip Tommy Rockcliffe to have a big one. Game three, um, and again, a case of no matter where they are on the ladder, but for one team, Melbourne playing North Melbourne at 2.10 on Saturday afternoon. Gee, that's old-fashioned, isn't it? Why do they do that? Um, how many straight wins have North had over uh, Melbourne? I 17. Is that all? So when was They're the going for 18. 2006. Yeah. 2006. I think Neats kicked eight goals. Wow. John Howard was still Prime Minister. You could still buy a litre of milk for two shillings. Yeah. Petrol was... They used to pay you... For I'm younger not sure people, they had the car, did they? For younger people, you, you used to fill up at a petrol station and they paid you. <laughs> yeah. Foot, so, foot, well, and football cards... Football cards were currency. In fact, there was no money. We just bought goods with footy cards. And you still got a picture of the previous year's grand final on the back. That's yeah. how long ago. Um, you know what? I'm going for the Demons. I, I, what is a surprise? They're who, red-hot favourites. Who do, who does are made to be broken. They, They're red-hot favourites. They They're have, much better team. They have won at Eddie Head Stadium recently. Well, the Roos were pretty good against your mob. <laughs> yeah, well, if they were playing our mob, St Kilda, I'd tip north again. Okay, but so not. by how much? Uh, Melbourne by four goals. Yeah, I'll, I'll go the D's by six goals. And they're going to bolster their back line. You know, Jake Lever will not play on Ben Brown. They'll bring in a Frost or somebody just to stand in for size and Lever Frosty. will try and intercept. 
All right, so both un- both unanimous. We're unanimous on that one, all two of us. Uh, Melbourne to end that 12-year hoodoo. All right, uh, game four, the Twilight game on Saturday, 4.35. Our time now, which is also Gold Coast time because, of course, sadly, daylight saving has ended. Gold Coast taking on Fremantle. Don't worry about Gold Coast time. The game's in Perth. Oh, it is too, isn't it? <laughs> I looked at Gold Coast first, and I thought, "What's going on there?" Oh no, they're at home. They're yeah, home. No, you're right. They're at home against Fremantle. Ah, oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Because because you tip them at home against Fremantle. Except, well, absolutely. They're except po- their home is Optus at Perth. The Dockers were really impressive last week against the Bombers, although that, that could have had a bit to do with the Bombers' awfulness. But the Suns last week against Carlton looked fantastic. Um, gee, I don't know. I'm, I'm Jeez, I'm tempted to go for Gold Coast here. They have played a really good brand of footy. You know what? It's a day of bold statements. I'm going for the Suns to beat Fremantle at home in Perth. I just hope that Optus Stadium is true to their seating requirements and seating their their, their seating rules. Because there is a member stand there only available to members on match day. Meaning? An entire grandstand with four Gold Coast supporters in it. Yeah, but they'd be used to that, wouldn't they? But wouldn't it be great? They've got one giant stand that's for members. Yeah. I mean, they're going to open it to Fremantle members, part of the $1 million deal. But imagine if they just said, no, it's a Gold Coast home game. You've got to be a Gold Coast member to sit in this stand. How do you, how do you reckon the Gold Coast players who are on the road for about three months because of the Commonwealth Games, how do you reckon they're feeling reading day after day that no one's actually turning up to the Commonwealth Games and there's empty seats everywhere for the, uh, you know, doubles, lawn bowls, quintuple somersault with pike? Where was the opening ceremony held? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen a second of it. It was at Metricon. I'm pretty sure it was at the Gold Coast home ground. You know, they covered it in sand from the beach. Why? It- well, that was the the theme was a beach theme. Yeah, okay. You know, they had a beach party and 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 um, some indigenous um, dancing on the beach. I've got to tell you, if they were playing football there this weekend, you'd have to. There wouldn't be too many running bouncers. What were the um, What were the music anthems they were playing in the opening ceremony? I I, I didn't have time. Treaty, yeah. I don't know. I, I, no, no, don't no, do. I didn't. As long as they didn't play horses, I'm I'm okay with whatever they did. Anyway, we digress. Um, so Why who they play horses? Oh, because they I don't know. It's become a de facto Australian anthem for some god known reason. It's it not even Daryl Braithwaite's song. It's Ricky Lee Jones. It was very informal. I can tell you that the opening ceremony really looked like a closing ceremony. Everybody's, you know, the teams are coming in and. Just there was no semblance of order. I don't know what Prince Charles or Camilla made of. <laughs> well, what the, well, yeah, that's why we're doing there because you know why Camilla Camilla Parker's here for what she's here for. No, the bowls. Oh, very good, very good. Um, we're supposed to be tipping here. Where were we? Okay, we're. I'm up going to, for Frio. Okay, we're going up to uh, up to Sydney now, and the uh, time honoured for all of the last five years, Battle of the Bridge, finally, the Swans and the Giants. But all joking aside, uh, that's a ripping game. game. Yeah. So, okay, what happens? Uh, It's at the SCG. It is. Gee, it's going to be a great game. Sydney will desperately be defending the last vestiges of domination over GWS, but I think they're defending something. They'll be putting fingers in the dike, as they say. Mm. But the 
Dykers burst. I just think that their back line is no longer capable of withstanding constant pressure. Uh, Toby Green is expected back for GWS. He takes them over the top in terms of forward options. The midfield battle will be a ripper, but GWS's midfield loses to nobody. And again, the GWS back line is young, though it seems against Sydney, you really, at the moment, only have one concern, and that's Buddy. And that's a worry for Sydney, that they are a little Buddy-reliant at the moment, eight and four in the first two games, and they were really looking to Buddy to save the day against Port. I tip GWS. Yeah, the Giants' best is better. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Are they as reliable? And, you know, look, they got the job done against the Pies last week, but they can just... They just have a tendency to shoot themselves in the foot a bit by, you know, almost sort of making a point of proving we're a real team by sharing the ball around yeah. and not going the percentage option. And I reckon the Swans will be, you know, the ego will be a little bit bruised by what happened against Port. And I think their record against the Giants overall is pretty reasonable. So, yeah, it's probably the upset here. But I'm, I'm going to go for the home side. I'm going to go for the Swans to bounce back. But that will be a cracking game. So we don't tip many of the same, do we? No, it's good. That's good. And funny thing was, last week we both ended up with about five, I think. In fact, we'll have to do that. We'll have to go over quickly what we tipped the previous week so people can laugh at our expense. All right, final game on Saturday, uh, which is game six on the roster, is St Kilda taking on Adelaide at Eddie Haddam Stadium, 7.25 Saturday evening. Uh, on exposed form thus far, doesn't look good for your mob, Finey. I'm tipping the upset. Okay, on what grounds? Uh Look, they're better, much better than they were against Adelaide. They play North, you mean? Against North, they played traditionally pretty well on a Saturday night. They play better when the roof is closed, which it will be. But Adelaide have both crouches out now. Yeah, and they start to get a bit strained in the midfield. Mm. Uh, Taylor Walker much more comfortable at the Adelaide Oval than at Etihad Stadium, and actually St Kilda don't match up badly against their two backs, their two weapons. Uh, Eddie Betts, if he fires, that's a problem for St Kilda. It is a major upset, but I actually think St Kilda can bounce back. I think they'll play much better. I'm going to tip the upset because I know you'll tip Adelaide and I want to be different. Well, don't presume, but yes, I am tipping Adelaide for two reasons. Uh, One, they're the better side. And two, I've already more than surpassed my upset quota for the week. So, uh, no, I think they were really good last week, the Crows. The two um, crouches out is an issue. It is, it is. But I think their midfield depth, um, it's a good test for it. But I think, you know, you throw Gibbs in there, it sort of it doesn't leave them as exposed as it might have last year. Good point. Um, Crows for me. All right, Sunday. Three games on Sunday. And here's another ripper. Gee, it's a good round, this one. Richmond taking on Hawthorne at 110 at the MCG. Now, Richmond had a great record against the Hawks, even when they were ordinary and the Hawks were uh, reigning premiers. Um, right now, the Tigers start favourite. Does that mean the Hawks pull the upset? Uh, gee, the, the Hawks look almost back to where they were based on that showing against the Cats. And, of course, Richmond... Uh, pretty ordinary against the Crows. In fact, I was talking to a Tiger insider last night. He said that he doesn't know how they were still in striking distance of the Crows uh, in the last quarter. Uh, this is my five-star Gilt Edge special, the first for the year. Uh, meaning what? 
get on. Yeah. Yeah. If you are that way inclined. If yeah. you do bet, bet however you want. I'm not your mother or your father. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you to bet responsibly. That's up to you and your your, your, your own conscience. Okay, give us a tip. Richmond are a certainty in this. Uh, why? Uh, because they have got ownership over Rich Hawthorne because yeah. their forward line structures in such a way that it drives Hawthorne's back line crazy. Back, Hawthorne's back line is not all that mobile. Yeah. And Hawthorne lose a very important player from either end of the field. Burgoyne and Sicily are yeah. key players for them. Yeah. And the shutdown role that some Richmond players do become far more defined with Burgoyne out of the team. Uh, it's almost stop Rioli and creativity starts to dry up a bit. I definitely am going for Richmond here. I'd like to dispute your thinking, but I can't. It all makes perfect sense. Uh, you're right about Burgoyne, big loss, and uh, Sicily. Well, I guess you could argue that if their back line is too tall and not mobile yeah, yeah, enough... Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, that'll hurt them less. I also think um, last week's loss by Richmond showed that they need uh, the likes of Butler and Castagna to play to an optimum level most weeks for that forward function thing to tick over. Forward function thing. The forward setup to tick over effectively. Um, so that that could prove in time to be an unhealthy reliance. But I think you're right. They, uh, as the um, vernacular goes, structure up pretty well. And I, I know Richmond failed last week, but they still have immaculate form and present beautifully at the MCG. Yep, yep. No, I agree. Tigers for both of us. Um, all right, moving on. Eddie had Stadium 320 and two sides that lost last week. Both pretty dismally, to be honest. Uh, Western Bulldogs taking on Essendon. How do you see that unfolding? Uh, very comfortable tipping Essendon in this. Uh, reasons? Because the Bulldogs at the moment are full of holes, and the one thing Essendon enjoys is the separation and confusion of a team that is not cohesive. You know, I just think they will absolutely feed off them and come on, jumping Joe. Uh, you know, almost my favourite player in the AFL. A bit of a slow start to the season. Yeah, perfect team to perfect team to uh, dip your beak. Get going, Joe. I think Essendon win comfortably. Uh, I'm not as confident as you about that, but I am going for the Bombers. I, I think the Bulldogs are in a, a world of trouble. Both these sides, I think, developing or at the moment having chronic weaknesses uh, with the harder-edged side of the midfield game, contested ball, clearances, tackling, etc., uh, both very, very poor in that regard last week. So there'll be a bit of a, uh, you know, pride having been pricked. I think both midfield groups will be keen to sort of rebound from that. But, yeah, look, I think in terms of personnel, the Bombers at the moment have the more equipped lineup, and uh, they were really ordinary in Perth, and I think they'll want to put on a decent... Um, I know who will want to put on a decent show. Who? Stringer. Yeah, yeah, no, good point, the old... Uh, coming up against his old club factor. Uh, speaking of which, Devin Smith, um, he's not coming up against his old club, but he's been really good for the Bombers. Special shout-out to him. But, yeah, I'm with you, the Bombers. Just on that, I'm going to call him Devon Smith. Why? I don't know. It's got, got that NBA feel about it. Sounds, well, I was thinking French actress. Yeah, NBA. Okay. Last game of the round, and uh, another ripper, actually, given um, how the home side went last week, and he's West Coast taking on Geelong at... 4.40 local time Sunday at Optus Stadium. The double Optus hope they know how to clean it in time for the second game. Well, they know how to change the lights from purple and white to... Uh... Yellow and blue. Oh, no, hang on. 
So is Optus Stadium going to have Gold Coast colours if yes. they win? Oh, yes, okay. of course. All right. Anyway, go on. Who's going to win? I'm going to tip the home team. Uh, gee, that's a big call. Um, I'm going to tip the Cats, who've struggled, I think, in Perth in recent times and against the Eagles. But, um, look, if they can play anything like they played in the last 15 minutes last week for four quarters, no one will touch them. It was amazing how um, both uh, Ablett and Dangerfield just went, we're going to we're going to pull this game out of the fire, and God blimey, they nearly did it. Does um, Ablett play? Uh, yeah, he was just a bit sore, wasn't he? Was a... I mean, they, they said that he's not going to play every game. We know that there is some hamstring awareness issues there. It's yeah. a shortish week. It's a trip to Perth. If he's ever not going to play, it's this game. I'm tipping he might not play. Okay. He'll get I've never, picked. I've never understood that phrase, hamstring awareness. Like, is that, you know, are you unaware that you, you have hamstrings? Well, we're both unaware that we've got growing stomachs, so maybe it's possible. Yeah, well, we certainly don't put our hamstrings to the test, I think it's fair to say. So you're going for the Eagles, eh? Yeah. I'm going for the Cats. That wraps up previews with Punch for this week, and we'll be back to wrap up this podcast. On Footyology, never again. All right, time to wrap up. We introduced this segment last week, and it's basically a definitive statement about uh, somewhere we're not going to go again because we've been convinced that what we previously, truths we previously held to be sacred are no more, or something like that. That's just a word salad, really, but it sounded impressive. I'm going to start. My never again for this week, Finey, is never again will I presume that AFL club marketing departments know what they're talking about. And that is after reading about Collingwood, for some reason, deciding to have a pre-game pump-up song for the crowd, um, fine, no problem with that. Never Tear Us Apart has worked very well for Port. But if they decided to choose some Metallica. Now, if you're going to choose a Metallica song, what would you choose? Enter Sandman. There's several sporting clubs that have used that. Um, Search and uh, Seek and Destroy off, off Kill Em All. Um, you know, I mean, Metallica, you've got a wide choice. So what did they go with, Finally, They went with a ballad. Nothing else matters. And I saw some footage of it. Even Joffa was struggling to get into that one. They were holding the banner up as the soulful, soulful strains of the power ballad didn't quite rock the MCG. And Joffa picks up his phone at one stage and you can tell it's one of his mates going, Hey, Joffa, what's this rubbish? <laughs> um, it didn't work. And uh, Eddie apparently didn't even know they were doing it. So uh, listen, marketing people, if you want to pump up song, I'd uh, give Messrs. Fine and Connolly a ring because uh, we certainly wouldn't be recommending a ballad. No, it'd be Ramstein for me. Oh, yes. No, very good. Well, maybe a German soccer club has Ramstein as a warm-up song. Yeah, uh, I'd go with um, Buchtig, which is Bend Over. I'd, I'd tell you what, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be going with Kraftwerk. What are, what are, the what, model. What, oh, no. Das fun, Model. Fun, 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 on the autobahn. Uh, That'd be just getting to the game. Anyway, your never again. And my never again is Damien Hardwick. Never again should you interact with an opposition fan on the way uh, through the concourse up and down from the coach's box because it's only going to end in negative press. And I've got a really good reason why you never interact. A coach, an AFL coach should never interact with a fan. And it's a personal story because Brett Scott, I think, only coached one game for the Sydney Swans. Uh, against Fitzroy at Princess Park. Correct. And I was at that game because my mates 
a lot of them buried for Fitzroy. Yeah. And at quarter time, Sydney Swans were lamentable. It might have been seven goals to one. Yeah. And I happened to be standing right where the Sydney Swans coaching brigade was coming on and off the ground. And as Brett Scott made his way up the gangway, I said, that is an absolute pitiful performance. You should be ashamed of yourself. And he stopped. And he turned around to me and he said, with fans like you, what hope have we got? And I looked him square down the barrel and said, mate, I don't barrack for you. I barrack for St Kilda. And he looked as flat as the <laughs> proverbial, you know what, Carter's hat. So don't interact. Yeah. There's nothing to be gained. Never again, Damien. You're a butte bloke dimmer. South Australians, leave them be. Well, if you're going to react like that to someone just saying, hey, you're not so good now, you're not the MCG. I mean, what what is something a bit more spicy going to make you do? Well, so- didn't Britton Sanderson allegedly have an interaction with a fan that, um, you know, said might have, in the long term, been part of his problem coaching over there? Uh, I don't know. We might have to investigate that. Investigate. An- another episode because it's time for us to finish up. I hope you've enjoyed this, our uh, pre-round three preview edition of the Footyology audio podcast. Of course, don't forget Footyology TV on YouTube and on footyology.com.au following the conclusion of every round. We've done two episodes. Check out our YouTube channel, the Footyology TV channel, and we'll be back, of course, in the uh, audio-visual version, Footyology TV, on Sunday evening to wrap up round three, and we'll be much better dressed than we are at the present, let me assure you. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll see you next week.